Um, this morning we'll be reading several um, verses from two different psalms, Psalm 61, verses 1 through 2, and then Psalm 62, verses 1 through 2, verse 5, and verse 11. So I invite you to turn there in your Bible, or you can follow along um, on the screen behind me. If you need a Bible, we do have some in the back that you can grab, and if you need a Bible, you can keep that as our gift to you. So we'll be starting in Psalm chapter 61, verses 1 through 2. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And then Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. And then verse 5. For God alone, O my soul, waits in silence, for my hope is from him. And then verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. This is the word of the Lord. Great to be with you all. It's always a privilege to to worship with you. Um, uh, Steve has given me the privilege of, I don't know if it was Steve or Andrew, one of the two, um, has given me the privilege really of, of speaking to you two of the next three weeks. So I'll be here this week, someone else is speaking next week, and then I'll speak to you uh, again in two weeks. And so I decided, let's, let's connect the two times that I'll speak, um, and we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines. I, I like how um, Pastor John Ortberg defines spiritual discipline. He says, a spiritual discipline is any activity that I can do by direct effort that will help me do what I can't by direct effort. A spiritual discipline is what I is an activity I can do by direct effort that will help me do what I cannot do by direct effort. And he wrote that in his book, The Life You Always Wanted. Um, I like to take what he's said and kind of say it a little differently. A spiritual discipline is an activity or a tool that helps me get connected and stay connected to God. That's really what a spiritual discipline is. And so we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline uh, of prayer today, and uh, John has kind of alluded to that some in, in many of his comments, and even in the songs that we we've sung. Prayer means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. For some of you, if I say we're going to talk about prayer, you immediately go to the the bedtime prayers that you may say with with your kids. Some of you may think of. Um, Thanksgiving family prayer. Remember Christmas vacation, Aunt Edna stands up and she like puts her hand on her heart and says the Pledge of Allegiance and they say, play ball. It was like crazy. Maybe prayer is like that for you. For some of us, it's uh, God help me prayers. I, like I, I, before I even get out of bed, that's my prayer for myself. Lord, help me today. I'm hard headed. I'm stubborn and I need you to give me help. I need you to send it my way. Help me recognize it when you send it, because I will actually reject it. Like I pray that clearly to God. Sometimes maybe you might pray like that. Sometimes we pray, God, where are you prayers? When we need him to show up. Sometimes it's grace before dinner. If you played a sport, then maybe your sports team, at least we did in the South. I don't call Northern Virginia the South. But we would say the Lord's Prayer, the Our, our Father, before we uh, had a sporting event. But at the basic level... Prayer is cultivating a relationship with God. And that's what I want to convey to you today. Prayer is cultivating a relationship with God. Uh, Dan Rather, Dan Rather uh, 
many years ago was the anchor of CBS, and he had the privilege of interviewing Mother Teresa, the late Mother Teresa, and he wanted to interview her in regards to her prayer life. And so he says, well, tell me about your prayer life. Uh, What do you say to God? And she responds to him, well, I I listen. And, And so he decided, all right, you listen. Well, Dan Rather says, what does God say? And then Mother Teresa smiled, and she said, he listens. And confounded, Dan Rather just didn't know what to say. Uh, So Mother Teresa interrupts him and says, well, if you can't understand that, I I can't really help you. Um, That was deep, right? Like, I listen, he listens. Make no mistake about it, Dan Rather was confused as to what Mother Teresa was saying. But I think the truth is we're confused as well. And I think what that alludes to more than anything is how hard prayer can be sometimes and how we can just um, um, get miss, miss getting the point of it. If there's anything that Christians habitually feel guilty about, the first is our consistency in reading the Bible. The second would be our consistency in praying. I think many of us feel like we personally fail when it comes to prayer. I'll admit, as kind of sort of like a pastor kind of a guy, prayer is not always my favorite thing to do. I love praying with people, but to get up and actually do the activity myself, I've had seasons where I'm very fruitful in it, but I've also had seasons where it's dry and like I can, it's just a struggle and it's like hit or miss. Especially prayer where we're listening to God. And that's where we're going to focus today, listening to God. When I speak two weeks from now, we're going to talk about talking to God. And, 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 you know, I don't feel nervous confessing that to you because I don't think I'm alone. I think a lot of us have this issue of listening to God. And here's why. We're just so busy Many of us move to Northern Virginia because we want to be busy. We want to get at it. We want to pursue our dream or uh, do that job for which we've trained for for a long time and, you know, make a lot of money and, and you know, just do all kind of things. We're, we're called to it. We train for it. We're skilled to do it and, it. and we're happy when it happens. But sometimes we're so busy that we also don't know what to do with silence when it, we have the opportunity for that. I love the 21st century. I love gadgets and gadgets. Uh, new iPhones coming out, for those of you who are excited about that. But there are obvious trade-offs when we miss the opportunities to sit in silence. The modern society that we live in kind of drowns out the opportunity just to sit and do nothing. Think about the life that you live. What's the first thing that you do when you get in your car, other than just pushing the button to turn it on? We usually turn some music on or play a podcast. When you get home or you walk into any room of your house, what do many of us do? We turn the TV on. When the TV goes silent, what do we do? We turn it to a different station. Very few of us have space in our lives where we're just sitting and being quiet. We find some way to fill it. There's patterns in our lives of constant sound from the moment we wake up until the very end of the day when our head hits the pillow. And it's not just sound. Most of us have a constant state of, of, of speed. We're always doing something. We're in a hurry. We're doing everything quick. We're eating fast. We're talking fast. We're walking fast. And before you know it, you've not had a space in your entire day 
where you can be still, you can be quiet, and perhaps you can just do nothing. I remember many, many weekends I would spend with my grandmother in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and, you know, this is the country. Um, there's woods around. It's kind of like a farm. We had animals. And uh, my grandmother would just enjoy sitting on the porch. Um, my grandma, you just dip snuff. <laughs> Any guys like, she would dip snuff. She'd sit on the porch, dip snuff, and her favorite pastime is just watching watching the yard. It's like, that was it. Watching the yard, not talking, not having to discuss, like none of that stuff, just doing that. Um, that's what I think about doing nothing. Constant sound, constant speed, it just makes it difficult to develop this skill, this discipline of listening. So in regard to prayer, and especially to listening to God in prayer, I think the first thing to take note of is that God speaks. God speaks. The God that you hopefully know, love, and serve, he speaks. And when I say God speaks, what I'm talking about is how he reveals himself. And the primary way that God reveals himself to us is through his word, the infallible, authoritative word of God, your Bible. And that's why the Bible is preached. That's why your pastors encourage you to exercise disciplines, other spiritual disciplines, of reading your Bible, of studying, of memorizing, meditating, scripture, so that you put them on your heart and you have a way of hearing God because it's in you to, to, to hear him. You're hearing his word constantly the more you put, your, put it in yourself. God speaks through what he's made. He speaks through creation. We look at the sky and we see the beauty of God. We look at the mountains and see the majesty of God. We look at the ocean and the wind and the waves and we experience the power of God. We look at all the things that God has made. I'm thinking of mosquitoes, flies, and gnats. I'm not sure why God made those, but he was, she sure was creative when he did it, wasn't he? We got to ask him about those, though. We see the complexity of God when we think about humanity itself. How complex are humans? And so God speaks in all those ways about who he is and what he's calling these things to do, how they, how they, reflect who he is. God speaks to the hearts of men. That's special revelation. So no one wakes up and one day says, I'm going to love and serve God today. No, God acts upon us first by his Holy Spirit. He awakens us to believe that there is a God, that he exists, and we need to come to him by faith and repentance. God speaks to us through the um, the incarnation where he reveals Jesus to us, the God-man who dies on the cross to save us from our sins. God speaks through his church. He, th- he speaks through people, the community of God. That's why you go to community group. You are a reflection of the church, not just inside, but outside to your community. God is speaking through everything. He's speaking everywhere, all the time, and your God is trying to press into every part of your day and your life and speak to you. I think many of us live in this wall of technology and noise and confusion, and God is trying to communicate to our hearts. God speaks to us, and if God is speaking to us, we should be listening, people. We should be listening. Our, the, the radar of our ears should be up. The radar, the, 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 the whatever that part of our heart that we can discern that someone is impressing something upon us, 
it needs to be opened up and attuned to God. So I want to quickly do a little bit of Bible search with you all. We're going to look at three, four passages, three really, uh, and then conclude with how we began, um, that convey this idea that God is communicating with us, and, and we'll get a few lessons from each one about how to do listening prayer. The first is 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. You can turn there if you want. We're only going to read a little bit because this is a, this is a narrative and it's a lot of words. It's the narrative of the great prophet Elijah and his encounters with Ahab and Jezebel. I think it's one of the most interesting stories in the Bible because we see God just break out his wrath on some really evil people. Like if I were, if you were an army, I, I'm thinking like if you were just army people, I would say that differently. I would say he's God opens up a can of, you know what? But you can't say that in Doxology Church because Steve is here, so I won't, I won't say it. If he wasn't here, I'd say it. And so God just exposes his wrath on some very evil people. Ahab is one of the most evil kings of Israel. His wife, Jezebel, is one of the most evil people that's ever walked on the face of the earth. And Elijah has consistently confronted Ahab and his prophets, his, his false you know, prophets, prophets of Baal, and challenged them from abandoning the, the commandments of, of God. And to make a long story short, there's, an, uh, there's a moment where in this challenge, God shows up majorly and does a great, just like uh, convincing miracle um, of who he is as opposed to this, this, this semi-God, Baal. And on the heels of that, Elijah kills all the false prophets. And you think um, after God does what he does in this great miracle and um, God giving Elijah the power to just remove all these false prophets, Elijah, I mean, his chest would be puffed up. He'd be, he's like, yes, my God is great. But he doesn't. He actually runs away from the scene. He cowers. He becomes, I mean, he just escapes. Why? Because he, uh, Jezebel hears about this altercation and she sends word that she's going to kill him. She's going to threaten his life. And so uh, Elijah runs away and hides. And that's the, the part of the passage we're going to read. Chapter 19, verse 9. There, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. This is Elijah. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I am left and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the, uh, on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by on a great and strong wind toward the mountains and broke in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? We'll stop there. As you're reading your Bible this week, you should go. First Kings 18, read the whole story of God just like decimating these crazy people. Right. And then how it concludes in first Kings 19. And so, yeah, I mean, you get the gist of it. God calls Elijah to a place of respite. He actually sends angels to him to, to take care of him uh, after he just falls apart uh, with the threat of Jezebel. And then he brings him to a cave and he sends like his demonstration of power. Like 
uh, wind and earthquake and fire before Elijah, Elijah knowing that God wants to speak to him, but God chooses to speak to him, not in this, not in a, a powerful, like, this is who I am kind of a way. He speaks to him in a low whisper. In a low whisper. This was a quiet moment that God was calling Elijah to. In Hebrew, the, the way that God was speaking to Elijah we could call it a still small voice, but the words translated mean a thin silence. This is quiet moment, and God is there, and God was speaking. And I think as we listen to that story, we could say a lot, but I want to say just two things. Firstly, God is inviting us to come, perhaps even run to him after exhausting times of activity. Think about how your days go here in D.C., whether you're a stay-at-home mom or someone that goes downtown D.C. or working at the Pentagon or however you work here, how frantic and involved and busy and hectic our days can be, even just driving point from point A to point B here in the DMV. God is inviting us, perhaps even calling us to run to him after exhausting times of activity. God wants to meet with us so that he can replenish us before we launch back out into more activity. You only have to look further down. God launches Elijah back out to, to do more ministry. The second thing is God is calling us to, to quiet activity, to quiet ourselves in activity. Why? Because he wants to speak. He wants to say something to us. And this calls for disciplines that we need to develop of silence and solitude. Silence you stop talking, you even try to quiet your own mind, which is one of the most difficult things that we could, we could ever do, but also that you experience solitude. Solitude is you getting out of the hustle and bustle of, of the other people around you and get by yourself, to be alone, to turn off the noise, to turn off perhaps the TV, the internet, your phone, maybe even your music. <sighs> like, have you, do you have times where you even turn off your music? And I think that scares us, the thought of just like turning off everything and just sitting there in the silence. God's voice is heard in the low whisper, and he is inviting you to be attuned to that. The second passage of scripture is Luke. Luke chapter 10. This is a story of Mary and Martha. You've heard this before. Luke 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And as she had a sister, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with very much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, are you, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which, we, which will not be taken away from her. You've heard this story many, many times. And so the, the, the message is clear. The emphasis here is on verse 40. Martha was distracted with, with much serving. And so we see that against the picture of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, casting everything else that might be kind of semi-important at that time, and just listening to Jesus and his teaching. So the, the, the comparison is which more is more important? You got two sisters, two dispositions, Jesus interacting with them both, and Martha complains to Jesus that her sister wasn't doing enough with all the lots that they had to do. Jesus, don't you see all the stuff I'm doing? Like all the work, serving at church, leading community group, involving my, you know, with my community, 
teaching my kids, working, answering emails. Jesus, don't you see all the stuff that I'm doing, the stuff that I'm doing for you? And Jesus responds in verse 41, Martha, Martha, Steve, Steve, Jeff, Jeff, Andrew, Andrew, whatever your name is, whatever your name is, he's responding to you with a sense of comp- compassion, right? These are, this are, he's, he's making a heartfelt connection to you. You're anxious and troubled about things that you probably should not be because something is more, something more important. You have, the, you have the invitation to be invited into something that's more important. And I think Jesus' concern for, Mar- for Martha, but also for us, is with the level and anxiety, and sometimes the level, the source of, of our stress. I think many of us are like Martha. We live in this busy, sometimes crazy world, and we're filled with, with worry, stress, and anxiety. And Jesus is saying to Martha, I, I have the answer. I've got a remedy to what is, is plaguing you. And I think God has a remedy for us, too. He's calling us to create moments. L- listen to me. He's calling us to create just moments, moments of your life where you can step away from the busyness and the stress of your life. We're in D.C., and so it's inherent that those things are going to be there. Maybe you even like them to be there. I kind of sort of do. But there still should be moments in your life where you step away from from all those things and just let the stress be over there and you sit somewhere else where you can put down the hustle of life even for a few minutes and in turn take a moment for the most important thing, which for all of us is spending time with Jesus. Do you have a moment of your day like that? So in the middle of Martha's activity, Jesus actually tells her, just stop it. Like, isn't that convicting? If Jesus just says, like, look, look, Martha, stop it. Stop that. And the, uh, the encouragement there, the challenge, invest your time in things that can't be taken from you. And that's Jesus. I think the lesson of both the story of Elijah, but also combined with the story of Mary and Martha, is firstly, we're more likely to hear God himself when we're being still and quiet. I think I have learned that I can be in motion and hear from God. But sometimes when I confess that I can do that, I'm actually fooling myself. I think for most of us, we're more likely to hear the Lord speaking to us, dealing with us, communing with us when we're still in quiet, when we have taken up a posture of listening. The second thing is the purpose of listening to God in prayer is you're cultivating a relationship. You're cultivating a relationship with him. Uh, it's not something we get from him. It's not even just slowing down a bit, although most of us need that. And I've said that a couple times because we live in D.C. and we're just like that. It's being connected to Jesus. Here's one more story. It's Matthew 3. You guys know Matthew well because Steve is going through a, a series in this. In Matthew 4, we see Jesus beginning his ministry. But before Jesus begins his ministry, he has this crossroads event. The Holy Spirit uh, leads him into the wilderness he meets Satan. He's tempted by Satan. And of course, in this crossroads, Satan offers him everything. He offers him empires. He offers him worlds. He basically says to Jesus, hey, take a look at all this stuff. I'm the prince of the power of the air. I control this realm. I've got everything that you could ever want. Authority, power, provision. But what we learn in this, this moment with Satan and Jesus is that Jesus already has everything he needs. He needs, and he gets that. 
actually in chapter 3, before Satan offers it to him in chapter 4. Chapter 3, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I think this is the key to Jesus' entire ministry, this moment right here, this moment where he was being commissioned to do the thing that God would have him do until he died on the cross in our place for our sin. If you think about it ministry-wise, though, what had Jesus done up to this point? He was, he was born, he was raised in a, a carpentry family, probably learned that trade, had sisters and brothers like us. You know, he's a normal kid, teenager, young adult, doing life. But in terms of his ministry, he hadn't done anything. So God was affirming him, really, before he had turned water into wine. God was affirming him before he had done any kind of healing. God was affirming him before he had done all the dozens and hundreds and thousands of miracles that we don't even know about because not in the Bible that he had done. Before he resurrects from the dead, God says out loud, I am pleased with you. You are, you are my son. You're not loved because you've done stuff. You're loved because you're my son. And so I don't think it's an accident that when we read in chapter four, Satan's temptation of Jesus, they're the same. He's being tempted in the same ways that God has already affirmed him in chapter three. Chapter four, verse three, if you're really the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Chapter four, verse six, if you're really the son of God, throw yourself down. Let's see if the angels really will come, come take care of you. And so God, the father says to Jesus, you're the son. I love you. And immediately Satan challenges that. He questions that. Really? Really? Reminds you back, what, Genesis, Genesis 3, right? So, so you need to know this. I need to know this. As we, begin, as we begin our day, if you're not listening to the voice of God, you're going to hear another voice. It's either going to be your own voice within you condemning yourself, or it might be Satan himself, and he's going to be telling you to prove it, like to prove your, prove your worth. Prove that you deserve any accolade that you've ever gotten. The temptation will then be to live and to work, do emails, to go to meetings, parent your kids, interact with folks, carry your whole day out, even do ministry out of desire to, to prove yourself. And that's the voice that will lead you into deception. It'll run you ragged. And eventually it'll lead to fear, anxiety, and worry. I think many of us live our lives out of this position of proving it, of proving our worth trying to earn our salvation. And that's not the gospel. Because the gospel says, you're my son, you're my daughter, because you've expressed faith and repentance in me. And so if you let that idea sink in, you don't have to prove it because Jesus has proved it on the cross. He's accepted you as a son because you've received him as a savior. That could transform your life. And I think that's the heart of listening to God in prayer. If you and I could hear that voice on a regular basis, the affirming voice of God over and against those ways that we don't affirm ourselves and over and against the ways that Satan tempts us to believe less than the gospel, it would release us and free us to be all that God has called us to be. We won't need the applause of men. We can let go of power and acclaim that we're so clamoring to get. It might even make you humble. You'll know who you are. You won't need other people to tell you who you are. 
because God has already affirmed, confirmed who you are. So I think God is calling us to stop for a minute, to quiet ourselves, to listen and to speak to him. And so last, last couple of minutes, how do we actually do this? I mean, how do you do it? I want to give you two practical recommendations and one spiritual. How do you learn to listen to God? I'm going to encourage you, firstly, make regular space for listening. Make regular space for listening. And actually, to make regular space for listening doesn't start with listening. It starts with reading. Like, I went to Steve and Kelsey's house. I don't even think they have a TV. <laughs> you ever notice every time Steve preaches, he talks about a book that he's read? I think you cultivate the capacity for listening by reading. Just by reading. Make reading a normal part of your life. We spend so much time online swiping, going from story to story, going from thing to thing, listening to music, entertaining ourselves, that our mind and our lives become scattered. Every 30 minutes, we are tempted to do something different because of how our, our gadgets and gadgets are forming us. But what reading does is it settles you into a consistent storyline requiring you to focus. I'm not encouraging you to, I'm encouraging you to read the Bible. I am. But I actually, if you're just starting and like and, and focusing and listening, it's hard for you, read anything. Read a cookbook, read a novel, read a magazine, but make reading a normal part of your life because it counteracts all the stuff that we do online. But what I'm really encouraging you to do is cultivate the capacity for a few minutes of silence and solitude. I'm saying read because it helps you focus, but really what I'm saying is, all right, get through the reading. You need to spend some time doing nothing, concentrating on the Lord, clearing your mind and allowing him to speak to you. All of our lives deserve and need regular carved out time for silence. You don't say anything. Quiet your mind. Let the Lord speak in solitude. Do it alone. For me, that's a specific time in a specific place, like even a specific chair. A few minutes before I get out of my bed, I don't even move. Lord, I need help. I have the capacity to dismiss you all day. Come and and come to my aid. And then I just shut up and I let the Lord speak to me about a lot of different things. Sometimes it's very useful. Other times, all right, Lord, I don't know if I heard anything today. I'll come back tomorrow, right? Make the habit. Um, Second thing, practice the art of listening. All right, we've gone from reading to to listening. And I'm just going to say, hey, if, if if you're married here on your next date night, or if you're not married, you got a, got a buddy or a friend going to get coffee, um, tell them, hey, I'm trying to get better and more intentional at listening. I'm going to ask you some intentional questions, and I'm just going to try and listen better. Uh, and most importantly, just be in their world. And if you do that and make it a consistent um, thing that you try to do, I think you'll get better at listening. If, if you want to be a little weird about this, go eat by yourself. Don't take your phone. Don't pick up a magazine. Don't pick up a newspaper. Um, You're going to look, you're going to feel awkward. You're going to look weird because no one does that in our society anymore. Uh, But, I mean, this is like become a people watcher. Just go there and be attuned to the conversations and the people that are around you. Um, 
next time you're in your car, don't turn the radio on. Don't don't pipe up a podcast or anything like that. Just say, hey, Lord, I'm going to sit and ride in silence. Um, Pay attention to what you're doing. You don't want to light wreck or anything. But uh, attempt to trim out the noise in your life by making your car, you know, just for a few minutes, a sanctuary where you are trying to develop the skill of listening, not to the cars and the, the hustle outside of your car around you, but to the Lord. Here's the third thing. Be active in your waiting. And this leads us back to Psalm 61 and 62. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I cry to you. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Psalm 62, for God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. My hope is from him. And in verse 11, once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. David is showing us two aspects of prayer. In Psalm 61, we'll talk about this more in two weeks, he's talking to God. David has, he has a situation. His heart is faint. He said, all right, Lord, I got some things on my mind, and I need you to do some things for me to keep me safe, to deliver me, to make my life work right. Like, I need you now. But in Psalm 62, he transitions to listening prayer. He's in another situation. We don't exactly know what it is, but he's got some kind of thing going on. And he says, Lord, I need you so much, I'm just going to sit and wait for you in silence. And then he begins to actively wait on the Lord. And that would be a fruitful exercise for us to in the morning or whenever you have two or three minutes, take one and a half of those those minutes and do something like Psalm 61. Lord, I need help. Lord, this situation is going on. Uh, Here's a a list of things that I need your help with me, carrying out my day uh, or interacting in my family. But then say, Lord, I'm going to transition to a period of waiting. I'm going to try and silence myself as best as I can. And I'm just going to sit and wait on you. And again, maybe it may be fruitful. You may actually discern the Lord saying something to you. He may give you something to do, something to pray, someone to pray for, uh, or something else that might be helpful in your relationship with him. And then some, some days it might not. But I encourage you to do it anyway. Perhaps you're a person here who has actually tried to do this. You've tried to listen to God for a long time. And my encouragement, kind of like John would say, John said earlier, is wait longer. There's a theology of waiting in Scripture. There's a lot of people in the Bible. You can't turn two or three pages in the Bible without finding a character that waited on the Lord. Abraham waited. Noah waited. Moses waited. Joseph waited. Daniel waited. All the apostles waited. Jesus waited. Why can't you wait? Wait for the Lord. Wait for him to speak. Oftentimes, the promise of reward is on the other side. Something happens in us when we wait. You're learning intimacy with God. You're learning to be patient. You're learning to love and serve God. Even in those times when um, it doesn't feel like you're getting the thing that from God that you're asking for, the thing that you need which I think is the purest love of all. It's a love with no strings attached. God, I'm going to love you even though I'm not discerning what you're saying. I'm going to love you even though I feel like I've got a need right now that, that I don't think you're answering. But I'm going to love you. I'm going to wait for you. Amen? Let's pray.